0: This week on Voices on the Mountain, we're going to be talking about stress with Dr. Stephen Guggenheim Wong. Nice. And we're not going to just be talking about physiological stress. We're going to be talking about uh, physical stress, like to the body, and thermal stress.
1: That's right. Yeah. Kind of like the big three for all you stressors out there, which is kind of everyone, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. All right, let's 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 kick it off. Which one do you want to do first, Asher?
0: Well, first, I think we should talk a little bit about what we mean by stress. Because it's in our society, we're like, everyone's stressed and you don't want to be stressed. But we're going to introduce a kind of different way of thinking about it, where it's not just a bad thing. It's a pushing outside your comfort zone type of idea.
1: Yeah, totally. and you, And I think we see this a lot now.
0: With a,
1: you know cold um, plunging, um, hot yoga. Uh, I mean, I think psychological stress. People have been pushing the boundary on that for quite some time. But the whole idea is Chinese medicine has this nice four character phrase. It's called Lao Yi du which means Lao is like uh, fatigue, labor, uh, pushing yourself, challenging. E would be the opposite. That's the couch potato side. That's the rest and recovery side. Uh, almost t- too much, right? That's like the leisure suit Larry never leaves uh, Copacabana sort of thing. And then yo do like to a- the right degree. So what's the right degree between these? So that's a really key point. Remember, I think everybody knows like the middle road and th- those those sorts of things. But when it comes to health, we really need to find that middle road between h- how much stress is good for the body actually strengthening and rebuilding and how much is detrimental to the body. And, and what's the what are the signposts um what are the symptoms and then how do we navigate that you know if how do we shift and so forth
0: totally yeah i feel like you are who you are and if you're one of the people who's going to be pushing their boundaries all the time then when you run into problems you're likely to keep on trying to push them and if you're one of the types of people who wants to just rest and recover and maybe go more introvert or whatever you're going to be going that way when you run into problems and it's like it's not always whatever is more comfortable it's about pushing it the other way so
1: heck yeah and that you just like Asher said it does require a little bit of self knowledge too like knowing your own habits and patterns and then working with that
0: you know when we were talking about this before you brought up the five different fatigues as a starting place and i had no idea what we were talking about <laughs>
1: <laughs> well let's do it up let's let's look what excess of five key things are and we'll we'll just jump right into a Neijing quote here So, this is from the Su Wen Xuanming Wu Qi chapter. uh, And it talks about five key fatigues and uh, what those are going to do to our body if we do, uh, meaning fatigue, meaning that excess to the point of uh, damage sort of thing. So, it starts off with uh, which means looking too long or reading too long. The word for to look and to read is the same in Chinese. Um, And so, this just means basically. Uh, over-focusing with your eyes too long. Um, shout out to screen time in modernity, right? So too much of that will damage your blood. And then the second part, uh, which means um, excessive laying down will harm your qi. And then um, excessive sitting for sitting for too long will damage your flesh and your tissue and your muscles. Um, standing too long will damage your bones shang Jin, which means um, uh, walking excessively or for too long will damage your sinews, your sinews, your tendons, your ligaments. We just lumped that all into Jin, which is kind of like sinews in, in Chinese medicine. So those are the five biggies. and for any of you five elementers out there, you can probably already start seeing connections right? So we know that uh, the spleen controls the what we call the muscles or the tissue and so sitting harms your spleen. So literally, like when we talk about like the office work like era of modernity, I mean it's no no surprise why all of these city dwellers are spleen deficient. So if any of you guys have been to you know China and like the big cities, um, or in you know in America, it's the exact same way. Check out what a city dweller's pulse feels like versus a farmer's pulse. It's not even close, and it's literally across the board. Like mean, you feel a farmer's pulse, and it's just an entire different thing. Like if they grew up farming, they have a strong, robust pulse. Like that is nine times out of ten, you just you know it's going to be there, and it's fun. Like um, it's not even a subtle thing. I remember one of my um, my patients, his uh, wife or partner. She's she was in school at the Denver School. And uh, they were doing a uh, pulse class. They were learning pulses that day in diagnostics. So they invited people in. And everyone was taking each other's pulses and be like, yeah, I think I noticed a little bit of this and that. And then they take his pulse and they're like, what are you, a machine? Like, this isn't even the same, you know, it's not even the same echelon of thing. And he's like, I just like hunting sometimes, (laughs) you know, he was a pretty, he's a great guy, really just solid. He's a big firefighter, dude, not like burly big, but like six, too big, you know, I mean, but not like I mean like not like NFL big, but he just had a one of those farmer's pulses. And it's so, so common among farmers. Like they're just so much stronger.
0: Probably a lot because they're just not harming their spleen all the time. I was thinking the excessive looking, one of the translations is reading. And that feels yep. like very close, close to a text your eyes are scanning versus when you're out on the farm or a ranch, your eyes are looking at the horizon, you're focusing on things farther away with a big difference too, because you look at something really far away and then you look at something really close. And, you know, we know from our modern Western ideas that that's a better way for the eye to behave in a more natural way.
1: Heck yeah, heck yeah. And way less damaging, a lot less, you know, like actual vision decreases. So you'll, you know, be changing your glasses prescription a lot less. But yeah, even just that idea of like Asher said, shift between looking close and looking far away. That's why I always tell people um who are you know office workers computer users and so forth you know try and set that hourly timer and just let it buzz every hour just stand up shake things off look in the distance take a couple deep breaths 1 minute out of every hour that's all it takes your neck will thank you your eyes will thank you your muscles will thank you and then of course your spleen will thank you
0: yeah for some reason, it's so hard when you're in the middle of it because you think, oh, I'm just going to push through and then I'm going to be healthy later. And it's like, no, 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 just break it up. Do a little bit as you go. Don't build up the, yeah. the stagnation. Much easier to take care of it as it comes. That's a good point. You could you could write a whole book called I'll Be Healthy Later. Yeah. America. <laughs> uh, so what defines excessive in these fatigues that we just went over? Great point. So, just like Asher is saying,
1: the key here about excessive means like we want to do those things. Obviously, we need to use our eyes and look at things, but what is too much? And too much is to the point where um, we strain the uh, organ. So, in this case, the eyes or the muscles or anything to the point of damage. So, the key is challenge good, damage bad. And we need to find that intermediate area. There's actually a nice quote um, from the Jin Dynasty, too and he says uh, like uh, in chinese it says ren yu lao dong which means like the body wants to be active and physically like move around dan shi but you shouldn't be you shouldn't take it to the excess or the extreme meaning we we want that movement. We want that um, challenge to the body, just not too much. So, we can actually break it down into three different ones. So, let's just do a basic physical one. So, let's do exercise because most people are, I think, trying to exercise a lot, right? So, if you go and work out, what's what's some signposts that you did it right and what's some signposts that you did it wrong? Um, if you're sore in uh, multiple muscle areas or, you know, kind of in, not just in like one single muscle, but sore in a whole area for about a day, oh, you knocked it out. That was exactly right for you. And you probably don't want to do that every day because the next day you want to do something else and let that area rest, right? If you're sore for two days, push it a little too hard. And if you get more sore in that second or third day, you pushed it way too hard. Then you're actually pushing it towards potential injury. So if you get more sore the second day, that just tells you, you know, you probably haven't done this thing. And people are like, oh, but now I'm weak. Yeah, but you're probably just, you know, if it's shooting a bow and arrow, Maybe you're out of bow and arrow practice. That doesn't mean you're weak everywhere. You're just good at what you do, right? So I think there's a pride thing that comes into it. I see it a lot with people who come back to activities, right? So like, for instance, if someone is like a martial artist and then they take five years off, they come back and spar and they're trying to do the exact same like drop sweeps that they did the when they, when they were there before. Oh man, that's
0: a recipe for everybody getting hurt. Yeah, I've been there. It's, it's hard because I think you remember what you used to be able to do and you're like, yeah. Like, why can't we we, we do that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the come on, body. But did should equal do? Yeah, uh, yeah, it yeah. just doesn't, right? No, and it's not like you'll not get back there.
1: That's the thing. It's just you know, I try and tell people it's all about patience. You know, when it comes to physical exercise, the two biggest words I always tell people: gradual, consistent, and like I I really think the first forty years of our life are just to learn consistency. Because the last 40, well, it should really be the last 60 or plus years of our life because shoot, if we're not aiming for 100, we're doing something wrong. But the last like 60, 80 years of our life, you can be just as strong as really as you want to be. I met this 70-year-old man in China. He was notably stronger than any of us. And we were in our 30s or 20s. Actually, a lot of my classmates, yeah, they were in their 20s. His chest was like twice as big as us. He didn't even start exercising until he was 60. He was a bus driver for his whole life. Then at 60, like his, he, like his, he, he was a bus driver for the neighboring college. It was the fashion college in Beijing. And he's like, at 60, he retired because they do it a little earlier on the communist side of the world, you know, good for them.
0: Um, and well, you still have some <laughs> good years
1: left. <laughs> Got a little zest in there. And, uh, you know, he was like, well, I heard exercise is good. So I decided to hike a hill or a mountain every other day. And then on the other days, I'd go uh, work out on the bars. In, and he came to our college, which is right across the street. To just do like pull ups and push ups and stuff. And he started as a 60 year old man who hadn't worked out his whole life. I met him when he was 70. His chest was twice the size of all of us. He was doing like these V style chin up things. We were like, what? You're holding that position while you do the thing? And then, so we had to like learn. It took us weeks to learn what he was doing and like to build up the strength for the different exercises. All I'm trying to say here is age is not the restrictor, the restrictor is the consistency right? If he takes a day off, he'll feel it. He's 70. But if you know a 20-year-old, especially a 20-year-old male who's got like testosterone pumping out their ears, they take two weeks off, they're not even going to know the difference. Um, and so that's the whole thing is age is generous, right? Young, youth is generous, I should say. But it's like kind of that time period to learn consistency. And if you're not learning consistency by the time you're 40, your body is not going to appreciate it. So it's all about those slow, gradual changes and staying consistent. So consistency always beats quantity.
0: Awesome. So good guideposts for those weekend warriors out there. Nice. You're sore on day two, too much. If it gets worse on day two, you really did too much. Mm -hmm. You betcha. And how do you know if you did? And if you didn't, if you're not sore the next day, then then you didn't do enough.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. As As long as you increased your energy, you probably did some. Um, and then I think that's, you know, for all the, I, there's people that are just, just do exercise science and all that stuff. But if you're not sore, like you just got a different function, right? You got movement, you got circulation. Um, and that could actually even get into the idea of, does Chinese medicine prefer strength training to cardio training? And the general gist, we should actually do a whole episode on that. That'd be fun. Yeah. But, yeah. Kind of the teaser is, um, cardio is about moving, right? So if your goal is move the blood, move the fluids, move the chi, that's it. And if your, um, goal is strengthening an organ specifically, usually the spleen, then it's about strength training.
0: Gotcha. I usually think about it. Yeah. as the movement and a free flow of movement. Cause you watch those old guys do the one inch punches and the amount of force they generate off of nothing and you're like well it's not because of his big muscles anywhere right there aren't big muscles anywhere it's about how he uses <laughs> his entire body to generate force in such an effect exactly manner. yeah
1: yeah asher totally for any of you guys who like uh, martial arts or anything like that obviously asia is a great place to go um there's a great um one of the well-known uh, authors and practitioners in our medicine named tom Bizio. He's um, out of New York. He he writes about this and stuff in his books too, um, but anyway, he, he was talking about like yeah, he went to China and like these rail thin dudes are pushing him around. And Tom's a pretty well built dude, right? But same thing. Like my um the Bagua teacher that I studied with, he's my um, Bagua master. I studied with for the last four years. He uh, actually I met him through Tom. But same thing. He's in his he's seventy and like man, he is fast and strong and accurate. Like nobody messes with that dude, man. And he's seventy. Like. So it's obviously just like Asher said, he's not like bicepting us out of the way, right? It's all about integrated movement. And so when if you want to think about like there's a lot of different ways to talk about what we call internal martial arts in Chinese medicine. But I agree. I think the number one thing is actually just what Asher hit on. It's about integrated movement, right? It is about qi and energy flow. That's true. There is that component. It is about breath. That's true. That is a part of it. But more than anything, it's about that integrated movement. And if you learn how to when you're literally moving your arm to not just move it with through your foot, which is kind of like, that is the idea, but sometimes that's such a macro idea that people lose track. It's like, is your elbow tracking with your knee? Is your shoulder tracking with your hip? Is your hand tracking with your foot? Are you guiding up through the root, transmitting through the center, and then um, releasing through what we call the branches? There's just so many excellent ways of training this. I mean, it's literally the focus of all all of the internal arts. So, if you guys want to learn that, check out uh, the three biggies, which are uh, Tai Chi or Taiji, however you want to say it. Um, just try and make sure if you find a, if you want to go find a good Tai Chi practitioner, find one who does pushing hands, or at least teaches you how to apply or or fight. I know that sounds funny, and I'm not saying I'm pugilistic here, but what I am saying is, if you don't learn the fighting side of it, you don't actually get the full cultivation side um, because your posture is not right, and you you're not doing everything correct you know, the fighting and the pushing hands actually forces you to be in the right postural um, alignment and so forth. The second one is called Xing Yi Quan, which is sometimes translated as like mind form fist or intention form fist. And then the third one is uh, Bagua Zhang, which is
0: the one I studied a lot. So we talked about the the physiological stress, but we right. haven't yet dive into the thermal stresses. And In America right now, it's pretty big. uh, The extremes, as always. Hopping into ice baths or doing hot yoga. uh, People are all about adding another stressor to their physical activity or life. You know, they're like, exercise is good, more exercise is better. And oh, hey, if we add a thermal stress, it must be like, you know, godlike. Yeah, so what do we think about that? And I know from going through school, there was a lot of like, you know, definitely don't be around cold. Cold is bad. It's really, really bad. <laughs> don't ever be around cold. <laughs> and then the we never really touched on on Bikram stuff, but I see a lot of actually uh, patients in my practice that are doing a hot yoga, and I have some thoughts on maybe not the best. There did did you hear some
1: air quotes around thoughts? You have some thoughts on that one, Asha?
0: Yeah. <laughs> some some ideas.
1: Some ideas.
0: No, I think I basically the people I see who come out of Bikram yoga usually have tightness in their pelvis mm-hmm. or in their hamstrings, and and they 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 love yoga because they're good at they're limber already. They're a naturally stretchy person, right? Lots of people that I meet that do yoga do it because they're good at it, not because they're bad at it. And it's that's one of the things where it's like, oh, if you were bad at yoga, it's probably better for you because you're you're tight all over and you need to stretch it out in your limber. But a limber person loves yoga because they're like, Oh, I'm really good at this. Like, look how deep I can get in this pose and just hold it. And then they add the heat part and they can stretch even further. But then the antagonist muscle might not be happy. Um, and some other things just get tight and and not happy.
1: I yeah. You I mean you said it exactly right. So like, it's the same idea that we should be kind of pushing ourselves towards what we're not good at, which like Asher said, doesn't do great things for our ego. Well, it does, but it's not always fun. Um, but yeah, it's not you're comfortable. Like, why am I just, it's not comfortable. Yeah. I like being good at things. Um, yeah, but like, you know, like my brother, it just, I think it's just natural. He's just got so much better balance than I have. You know, I have, I have different strengths and well, yeah, different advantages, but he was just more balanced than I was. And so, you know, I could try and push him through a room. That's not a problem, but I can't out-handstand him or something. He was just – and so obviously that's the area that I should be working on, you know. But it's one of those things. It's like you got to kind of put in the work. You got to realize that um, it's just a reminder that you need a little booster on that side. So just like um, Asher said, yeah, yoga abs- absolutely is wonderful. And most of us need it. But there is definitely the hypermobile that really do not need that and they'll fall out of socket. They'll do a lot of other things. Just like Asher said, they'll overcompensate with other muscles if they overstretch certain ones. I mean, that's just a recipe for injury on a lot of levels.
0: I think you bring up your brother is actually an interesting point because I usually find it's easier to push myself when I have an adversary, right? Like that person <laughs> who I'm chasing uh-huh. who. I'm also, who's also a peer, right? I'm competitive with them. It's not like they're that much better than me in any one area. I can see myself getting to their level. In Go, which is the, or Wabak, that's Korean. Uh, what is it? Wei Chi in Chinese. Uh, that's right. There's an idea of chasing people who are better than you. And so it's like mm. that person that you're chasing is like just out of reach, but you're also just close enough to be on their heels. Um, and those relationships are really helpful for pushing you. Outside of your comfort zone, and then to seeing your incremental change that you get better, because when you don't see that, when no one notices that, it can get harder to continue a practice or, or a skill development if you're not getting that that positive feedback. You bet,
1: you bet. It's like the belt system in you know martial arts in America. There's no belts in China. When's the last time you went there and saw like a, a green belt? Yeah, there is in, in Japan, I guess, but I don't, I don't know how traditional that was or I don't know the history of that. I, I focus on Chinese things more, but I mean, if you look at, um, yeah, I mean, like, we just practice in the park every day and we'd wear nice, ridiculously comfortable MC hammer pants. And that's about it. And you just dress how you want, but like, you just got to have the mobility, right? Yeah, exactly. And you, you, there are like the Chinese martial arts outfits, but unless you just want to be that guy, you just show up with the pants and then like a t-shirt or something, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: usually take the teacher's cues and i've never seen a teacher do that
0: yeah you don't go full wing Chun if no one else is wing Chun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would be nice if uh the foreigners would
1: kind of pick up on the hints read the room a little but sometimes they don't
0: oh yeah they have an idea in what their head yeah exactly exactly and
1: how that makes it cooler or and you're like just just get to the, the good stuff there but uh yeah, when it same thing. It's it's about that martial arts, like kind of finding that balance, and um, you know, working on what you're good at, and um, or working on what you're not so good at to kind of uh, fill out the resources and fill out your skill set, sort of thing.
0: That wraps up this episode. We'll have more next week. Stick around if you want to dive deep with me and Steven on some more Chinese medicine. Yeah, I was thinking too. Like this, one of the reasons why I liked the different ideas and professors that push you in like a safe way. Right. Cause it's like, yeah, show me where I'm weak. You know, like, oh my pulse taking isn't the best or, oh, my, my needlework isn't great or, oh I should be doing stuff with my offhand while I'm needling or my palpation, whatever it is. It was just a, always a, a, oh, a learning experience Um, and not a, not a test that you failed and that's who you were. Right. It was just a continuing process of, Oh, here's where I'm weak. Here's where I'll practice gets stronger, and then come back and do it again. Totally, man. I, I I really wish,
1: and I do think there's a pedagogy thing in there too. But yeah, I really wish that people would start, you know, attributing weakness and strengths of what they're doing, or even themselves. Like like this muscle is weaker than I want it to be. Great, that doesn't mean you're a weak human. That just means work on that muscle, just like you said. I mean, who goes to school and comes out being like, I have conquered the pulse. I mean, if they have, they're like an absolute maniac. So don't go to them, right? Um, You know, there's some schools, I guess, in America that don't even teach the pulse. Did I tell you that? I heard about that when I came back. Oh, God. Yeah, like there's – and I don't think they teach herbs. And so that's their, I don't know, somewhat rationale. But like they're like, oh, we don't teach herbs. So we don't even teach the pulse. Well, it's pretty darn useful. I mean, the ling shu in literally every chapter – Every chapter talks about it, and Ling Shu is really focused a lot more on acupuncture. In fact, every channel, like of the twelve major organ channels, they tell you when the pulse is like this, do this, and you're like, "So I think we should focus on that." Yeah, you can't skip that bad boy. Um, And you know, it's just one of those things. Like um, it, it just takes a little bit more time. The pulse also shouldn't be mysterious; it should just be a little bit more challenging. Um, But when people make it esoteric and weird. They're usually just complicating it because they don't know what it is. Uh, It's not, it's not
0: mysterious. It's just subtle. And so you just have to pick up subtleties. Yeah. I think the hardest thing about the pulse too, is that to, to really learn, you have to feel the pulse that like a master or someone who knows what they're doing more feels too. And then they tell you what it is and you're like, okay, then that's what I feel when you're like, I've taken a lot of pulses, but had very few instances of a teacher in me going through the pulse, you know, like maybe a dozen or two dozen times versus a couple hundred pulses I've taken. So for me, I'm like always just what's different, what really stands out. And then slowly and cataloging all those experiences to try to like narrow it down to what it means um, in the body. Uh, But Yeah. Asher's
1: spot on. I know this is not a pulse class. We should probably talk about that, but I think he's spot on. If you can link it to what you are feeling, like the first time I ever took a slippery pulse and I was like, um, my teacher was of course there, my herbs teacher, he took the pulse. I took the pulse and I was, and he's like, I I, I read what he wrote down on his diagnostic sheet. He always writes on the side of his prescription. Um, what do you call those? Like little pieces of paper where you write the herbs on one side and all the diagnostic stuff on the other. And so he, I could of course read, he was, he wrote slippery pulse there. And I was like, really? I would have described that as the pulse was rolling backwards. Like that's what it felt like on my finger. But now I know that's what it feels like in in my finger is when the pulse is rolling backwards. And so that's the first way I learned slippery. And then you learn some other subtleties around it and stuff. But it just like Asher said, it's like, um, it's kind of like what you just said too, about pacing yourself with like, you know, workouts and stuff, or like, um, the go players or weight Chi players, getting that better person to kind of lead you through stuff like that. Absolutely.